Last week we looked at uh, key people of the tribulation. <clears throat> I want to build on that. Uh, these concepts will help you to remember uh, the, the content of Revelation. It'll also remember, help you to remember the future and how things are going to take place, who's going to be responsible for what. We looked at good key people. Uh, last week we saw those who are the servants of God taking the message of salvation to people around the world. They were very successful at that. We also saw a larger group. We saw them in heaven. They had been gathered there because of their faith in Christ. They believed what these special servants were telling them. And they trusted in Christ, just like you and I have. And there was a time in our lives where we knew we needed a Savior. There was a time when these folks knew they needed a Savior, and they trusted Him. And the Lord saved them and cared for them, and, and they knew that just like we know we belong to Him. The difference is we live in an age of grace. God has been very gracious to us. During the tribulation, this awful period, just before the time Christ comes to this earth, there, there is just, this is just, there's no way you can explain the horror, the hardship for God's people. And, but many will come to Christ anyway, even though they know it will cost them their life. What we want to look at today in chapter 13 are the people who are responsible for everything that's wrong in this world. Chapter 13. So I hope you'll get your Bible and turn there. We'll look at it. This is probably the most difficult part of the book of Revelation to understand, not only visually, but just mentally. <clears throat> Let me have a word of prayer, and then we'll look at this together. Our Heavenly Father, we are so glad that you are good and that you hold us. We have been sealed. We belong to you. You see that we belong to you, and you love us dearly. And Father, there are times today in which we live that we are so grieved by the wrong that's in this world. And Father, the chapter that we're going to look at today tells us and shows us that there's coming a time when it's going to be so bad it's hard for us even now to envision such badness and wickedness. Father, help us to see what's coming. You want us to know but help us during this age of grace to reach out to those who haven't trusted in Christ. Help us to let them know what's coming and help us to speak freely of the Savior who would love to care for them forever. Uh, so help us as we share this together and we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 13 is a difficult chapter. And again, the people of the book of Revelation, I want you to see three different phrases that are in this chapter because there are three different people or personalities that are represented in this chapter. I have them on the screen, but look with me in the Bible so you can see them there. Chapter 13, verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea... Remember, John is still in heaven. He's seeing these things unfold. I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast <clears throat> rise up out of the sea, <clears throat> excuse me, having seven heads, ten horns, 
and upon, upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Notice the phrase, I saw a beast rise up out of the sea. That's our first person. Notice chapter 11. And I beheld another beast, this is the second person, coming up out of the earth, not the sea, out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke as a dragon. So we have the first beast, we have the second beast, and then as it closes in verse 15, <clears throat> And he had power to give life unto, here's the third thing, the image of the beast. The image of the beast, saying them, to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. And verse 15, he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. And so you have three different people <clears throat> or personalities that are being presented here in this chapter. And it is strange. I have a very unusual picture on the screen in my PowerPoint. And uh, it is uh, what makes this chapter so difficult to understand. Uh, back in chapter 13, again, verse 1, <clears throat> excuse me, this beast, it says, has seven heads. Now, what do you know that has seven heads? You know, it just... We, we don't see that anywhere. Uh, special effects in Hollywood can't even create something like this. Seven heads, ten horns, and upon those horns, ten crowns. Um, that's just very, very unusual to us. Now, here's where I want you to stay with me. I have on the screen the general picture, <clears throat> and then we'll look at the specific picture the general picture, and I have the book of Daniel. Um, when John sees this beast, this is not the first time in the Bible where this beast is seen. The book of Daniel refers to him. Uh, you remember I said that the man in chapter 6, that first form of judgment, that man, that very bad man that was introduced to the world. We see him in the book of Daniel. Well, we see these beasts also in the book of Daniel. Let me look at it this way. In the book of Daniel, Israel has been conquered. Uh, they have not been faithful to God. And it's the time when Daniel, as a young boy, was taken away into Babylon. Some of you remember that story. Uh, Daniel, uh, later as an old man in the lion's den, uh, the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's three friends uh, that were there, and the miracles that took place. What happens during the book of Daniel? Uh, the nation has been demolished. Uh, there is no king on the throne. There is no more Jerusalem. There's no throne. There's no temple. There's no anything. Uh, people have been killed, and many of the people left in Jerusalem have been taken to a four-month journey, forced march to go to a new country, and they're slaves in Babylon. 
Israel is completely demolished, and they're wondering what's going to happen now with uh, our faith. What are we supposed to believe? And it's in the book of Daniel that God steps forward to remind his people, Israel, that God in heaven is still in control. They, Israel, are still his people. And God is in control of the movements of the world. God has a plan for Israel, and God has a plan for the world. And so God uses Daniel. He uses Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Later, he will use Esther. You're familiar with that uh, in, in uh, their history and the Feast of Purim and how that is even celebrated today. God will do some incredible things while the people of Israel have been conquered. When Daniel, as a young boy, uh, the king gets a vision. He is the ruler of the known world, Nebuchadnezzar. He is the ruler of the, of the world, and he sees in, uh, in a vision the image that you have on the screen that's on the left, and it terrifies him. He gets all of the, uh, the wise men together of the land and says, uh, you're going to have to tell me what this means because I can't even get any sleep. And they're saying, we can't tell you because he doesn't tell them the dream. He says, tell me the dream and what it means. If you're really wise men, uh, he doesn't trust them. And they say, well, we can't tell you. Tell us something and then we'll, we'll make some sense of it for you. And, and he simply says as a king, if you can't tell me the dream, you can't tell me the interpretation and he's going to have them all killed. And that's where Daniel hears about it and he sends a message to the guard, tell the king I have the answer. <laughs> Here's young Daniel and conquered and yet faithful to God. And he goes to the king and he says, King, you can keep all your gifts. The king wanted to commend him and thank him. He said, no, this comes from God. God wants you to know not only what's happening now, but he's giving you a glimpse of what's happening in the world future. And he describes this vision of this image that he sees, and he describes the world rulers, the world kingdoms that will be world leaders. Kingdoms that will rule the world. And you have uh, Babylon, as the top he was, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, gold. Uh, later, right after that, it would be Persia, the strength of a bear. Uh, after that, Greece, Alexander the Great, speed like a leopard, conquering the world, and he did. And then the very last uh, vision that he sees here is a fierce beast, worse than all of the others, and it's Rome the Roman Empire, who with their strength crushed everybody else. And what he sees here in chapter 2 of this vision, he talks about in chapter 7. Daniel does it again. I know this is confusing. Just stay with me. Stay with me, please. He repeats the same thing of world empires, kingdoms that rule the world, but in chapter 2, he uses lion, uh, bear, leopard, beast images talking about world empires, kingdoms that will rule the world. In both places, it talks about a stone falling from heaven 
that will crush these man-made kingdoms and establish the kingdom of God. And it's referring to the time when Jesus comes back to this earth. But what we have in chapter 2 and chapter 7 is what John sees in chapter 13. It's the same thing. It's the image in animal form, chapter 2, chapter 7. That's what John sees here. In computer terminology, it's cut and paste, if I can say that. He's taking the truth. Daniel's very familiar with, with Daniel 2 and 7, these world empires, and he's bringing it over here now, and that's is what John sees, and he knows what he's seeing. This is not the first time. The same monstrosities, and what we see here, if you look at just the general description, we were talking, first of all, uh, about these heads and crowns and things of that nature, uh, we're talking about a world political structure. We're talking about a government authority, a government, the nature of this government, and that it's energized actually by Satan. Now remember, we're looking at what's causing all this problems for, for believers. Why, why don't people surrender to God? Why do they resist God and hate Christ so much? These are the people that are promoting this anti-God feeling to such an extent uh, that people are actually being killed. So we're that's what this chapter is all about, the people who are leading the world in its wickedness. But it is presented to us in, a, in political terms. When you see uh, seven heads, later in the chapter, this man who is referred to as the, the Antichrist, two other chapters talk about him. Uh, we're told that heads are leaders. Uh, we know that ten horns uh, refers to strength. Um, people in the Old Testament, kings would often refer to their power, their kingdoms, as the power of a horn, uh, just a, a series of, uh, uh, a symbol of strength. Uh, ho uh, crowns deal with the actual fact that there's, there's a, there are people who are ruling here. And so you have governmental authority that's being pictured here, coming up out of the earth. Gentile power structure, government structure. It is not the United Nations. Something else is going to take its place. And there are people who believe it will be the revived Roman Empire because of what is happening here. And the shift in the end times will go back to Europe where it was during the time of Christ. But it is a governmental authority. But I want you to notice at the end of verse 1, upon the heads of this governmental authority, there's the name written blasphemy. That'll give you something about the nature of this and that this particular person, uh, these, this group of people, this man that we call the Antichrist will rule this uh, political authority. Uh, they, they are all united in hatred against God. And now notice in, in verse 2, And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth is the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, chapter 12, tells us that's uh, Satan, gave him his power, his seat, and great authority. These animals that are referred to, notice the screen, 
are the same animals that are being referred to in Daniel 7, talking about world empires. And what he's suggesting here, what we're being told, is that all the strengths of those earlier kingdoms are now united in this one kingdom, but it is worldwide in its scope. That's what we're going to see. Now I want to move on and look at this man. We see him in Daniel. I just want to notice the way he's described here. Notice, if you would please, in verse 4, and they, that is the world, worshipped the dragon that gave power unto the beast. Satan will so manipulate these people, they'll be, they love this guy, this very bad man. It says they gave, uh, and they worshipped the beast, right in the middle of the verse, who is like unto the beast, who is able to make war with him. No one, uh, the world worships this very bad man. No one is like him. They are in awe of this man. They are behind him. Like I said before, they gave him the keys of the city. Whatever he wants, they're going to do. And that's because he is a man who was just like them. He is the kind of ruler they want to have. They are wicked. He is wicked. He is letting them go in wickedness. That's what they want. That's what he's giving them. It's, it's really bad. He is a very bad man. But notice what it says in verse 5. And there were given unto him a mouth speaking great things. I'm thinking about his mouth. He is arrogant. He is uh, insulting. He is brash. He is, you name it, he is right in your face. He is speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. We'll come back to that phrase later. Notice his mouth again, verse 6. He opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle or his heaven, and them that lived in heaven. Now think of this man who is the political leader of the world, who is able to stand before all the TV cameras and curse God. How do you think that would go over today? Well, to some people that would be all right, but most people that's not going to do it. They blaspheme God. It says that not only they blaspheme God, uh, they blaspheme His name, they curse God, they, they mock God the things that we know about God that are true, his character, his works. This man has got a bullhorn in pronouncing the worst, the most vile things against God, against heaven. There's no heaven. Uh, it's foolish to believe in the heaven. If there is a heaven, do this. Or if it's heaven, it's got to be like this. Or uh, it's just... Uh, you know, in heaven, if it's really going to be heaven, it's going to be like this, not what you say. And he's just vile. And this is the man that's leading the world. And the world likes him because he's just like them. And it says, he blasphemes even heaven, those that dwell in heaven. But more than that, notice the next verse. It says, verse 7, it was given unto him to make war with the saints. These are the people who believe the message of the 144,000. God allows this man to make war with the saints 
to overpower them. He conquers them. He beats them into the dust. And it says that to overpower them, and power was given over, uh, was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. He promotes this hatred against God. He is persecuting everyone who believes in God. He is gaining worldwide control. It says power is given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And the world loves him. That's why it says in verse 8, and all they that dwell upon the earth will worship him. They, they love this guy. The most vile man who's ever lived, the most murderous man who's ever lived, and he gets his pulse from Satan. He is just wicked. This is the man that the world wants to lead them. And that's kind of a sad, sad thing. Now, God throws in one thought here, kind of a parenthesis. You don't see the parenthesis in the text, but there's a message. Remember, people will be reading this book during the Revelation, during the time this, these things actually happen. And notice what it says in verse 8, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, whose names are not written in the book of life, later referred to as the Lamb's book of life. We'll see those books again later in Revelation. But it's saying that the whole world that is behind this evil man, the Antichrist, who has this political position, who is leading the world in opposition to God, he is saying not any one who follows this man, not one of them will ever make it to heaven. None of them can't. Those who are so opposed to God, who lead this man, who support this man, who champion this man, God just throws it in there. Not a one of them will ever make it to heaven. They won't. That's pretty serious. And the book of Revelation closes by seeing how God deals with this man and those who follow him. Not pretty. Let's go on to the next one. You see the general picture. Uh, again, remember, if you would, please, what John is seeing here is a cut and paste from Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. It's all, the, the context has to do with those who are ruling the world. And we see that uh, together. And then we come to a second beast. Uh, you'll notice something a little unusual about my picture, one of my pictures up here. But notice in verse 11, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb. Now, the reference to the lamb, we've seen that before in the book of Revelation, haven't we? And the lamb has always referred to who? God's son, the Savior, who was slain for us. The lamb. Heaven celebrates the lamb. Jesus is the centerpiece. We sing to the lamb. It's, it's there dominantly. This man who leads the world in its vileness, in its hatred against God, is going to have a person support him 
kind of in his cabinet, who is going to be in the appearance of the world. He's going to be a religious man. He's going to be in appearance kind of like a savior, a religious man. But the rest of the book tells us that this man is a false prophet. We're told he is a prophet, so there's religious overtones. And that's why I have the wolf in sheep's clothing in the right picture. And this is the second person that we're introduced to here. And notice, let's notice him in verse 11 where it says, and we're told in chapter 19, he's a prophet. I beheld another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, spoke as a dragon. He gives the impression that he's a godly man, a holy man, um, maybe a kind man, but his words are really something. It's different. And it says in verse 12, and he exercises all the power of the first beast before him. And he causes the earth and them that dwell in it to worship the first beast. Verse 13, this, this second beast does uh, great wonders that he makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. He deceives them that dwell on the earth by the miracles that he had power to do. Saying to those who dwell on the earth, catch this last part of verse 14, that they should make an image which, uh, to the beast. But notice is this man, this second person, is entirely in a supportive role. He gives the appearance of being a religious man, a holy man, the kind of religion that the world wants that will give them a kind of acceptance, but it won't cost them anything. And he supports the beast. He does this, these miracles or whatever they might be and tells the world, you need to get behind the Antichrist. You need to support him. And he becomes very effective. And he creates this image that's like the Antichrist. Think of it as a statue like the Antichrist. And then he, it appears, I'm going to use that, it appears that he gives life to this image. So now you have the Antichrist, the man who is this very bad man. You have this prophet, this religious person, supposedly, who is telling the world they need to really get behind this guy. And then in his miracles, it appears he gives life to the image. Now, follow with me on this, the image. I'll come back to this picture. Her name is Sophia. She really does exist. And I'll come back to her in a, a bit. But notice this image that begins to have life. It's a miracle. It's alive. It looks lifelike. And in verse 15, it said, He had power to give life unto the image of the beast. And the image of the beast, it will speak, that's quite something. And the, this, this prophet, this false prophet, now begins to say, people, if they're going to worship something, they have to worship the Antichrist. They have to worship this man. Forget about God. And it says that as many as will not worship the image of the beast would be killed. 
So they're taking it one step further, not only trying to remove people who would believe in God, but also now bring in this image so that the focus of the world's faith will now be on a man. Now remember, the Jewish people said, accepted him as their Messiah, hasn't been a very bad man, but this is where the world is going. And this false prophet gives, it appears, life unto this image. And now you can't do anything unless you pledge your allegiance to the beast. And notice the last part of verse 15, it caused them as, as many as would not worship this image that they would be killed. And he calls, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead that no man can buy or sell except you have the mark or the name of the beast or the number uh, of his name in your foreheads or in your hands. This man we call the beast, the Antichrist, has power over all of the world's commerce. And you will not have the right, you cannot buy anything or sell anything unless you're totally devoted to this image that represents this man, the Antichrist, the first beast. This man who blasphemes heaven, who kills and hunts and persecutes believers on the earth, who is so defiling, who openly is, would desecrate everything. The world will now have to get behind this man in everything it does for its own survival. You can't live in this world unless you honor this beast. And when you begin to think about this is what men want, this is what men will actually do, willingly do, accept the people who believe in Christ and believe what the 144,000 have been telling them. There is now no gray area, no gray area in this world. People either will honor God or they will hate him. They will get behind this man who hates God and persecute anything that has to do with God. They will kill them. They will be a part of this agenda. They will be, they will be back in their minds. They will be wholeheartedly backing this new regime. This is the way the world has to go and there's no room for God. There is no gray area. There's no gray area at all. There's no straddling the fence. You will either believe in Christ, possibly lose your life because of it, or you will be part of the problem because in this group, over with the Antichrist, this, this beast, you will try to remove every trace of God from this earth. There is no middle ground. And when we think of the judgments that are soon to fall upon this earth, we're now beginning to understand why they will be so severe because the world is totally lost in sin. And some of these judgments that are massive in nature, well, they're justified. Now, let me, let me talk about this particular person, the image of the beast. I don't know how this is going to unfold, but it has intrigued me that in the last decade or so, a little bit longer, that there has been uh, a real interest in the world. Uh, they call it AI, uh, artificial intelligence, 
this to create a robot that is just as good as, man, as any man. You have here Sophia, who is uh, one of the most successful of the robots that they have at this point. And you can look into uh, YouTube and different video clips where this robot uh, will walk on stage and be seated in a chair and someone will come along, its creator, ask different questions, and the robot will mimic human expressions, will answer questions uh, in a way that's very hum human and lifelike. They will ask people who are, let's say it's a TV uh, reality program, a person on the news, they'll, they'll say, why don't you ask her a question? And the person will ask the robot a question and the response is incredible. All, the only reason I'm bringing this in is, is um, it could be the way that some of the world is led into a worship of this false uh, savior, uh, but it's obvious that there are three personalities that are leading the world in its wickedness. Um, it's this first beast, if I can go back to our first script, First, it's the first beast that we call the Antichrist who leads the world. We see him in Daniel very clearly in 2 Thessalonians. The beast out of the earth that's kind of a mimic, uh, a false prophet, uh, a holy man of sorts, but is used to deceive the world. And my, excuse me as I sent this thing off. <clears throat> who gives life into this image, this whatever it is, and now the stage is set that the worst man in the world has a total grip on every aspect of life in this world. And his one agenda is to get God and every trace of God and his son, the Lord Jesus, removed. And he will lead the world blindly into this. It's just awful. But the world loves him because he's the kind of man that they want to have. That's enough time for this. We've tried to introduce key concepts. Last week, good people, God's people, not only the servants, but those who believe. But this week, a very dark picture. And it explains just how bad things will be here and why God's judgments upon this world will be so severe. Well, we're halfway through the book. I hope you're learning something about Revelation. Uh, join us next week as we look at another aspect, and uh, I hope uh, you find this helpful. Thanks.